Staging Sound, a podcast reflecting on theatre music, sound design, sonic practices and experiences. Welcome to Staging Sound, to another episode of this podcast. Well, this is the third installment, the third part of the first day of the conference called Theatre Sound as Collaboration, which was conducted in Munich in September 2023. And today we are hearing a presentation by Dan Scott, and he's going to be introduced by Lynn Kendrick. Before we start, one more quick word of advice, as this session was on headphone theatre and includes aspects of binaural recording, etc. It would be best if you listened to it with headphones on. Thank you. Welcome to our, back to our third guest on our panel, the Digital Minutiae through to Mega Musicals. I'm really uh, pleased to introduce to you all uh, the wonderful Dan Scott, is an artist, musician, and academic based in Margate in the UK. And he works across installation, performance, theatre, and socially engaged practice, and has shared his work at the Tate Modern, Tate Britain, Dilawar Pavilion, Turner Contemporary, and Whitstable Biennale, amongst others. Um, the title of his presentation for us this afternoon is Sound Grottos and Echo Shells on the digital minutiae of headphone theatre. sound. Stefan Heimreich discusses the old practice of listening 
to the sea inside a seashell, which we're doing now. These shells are from Margate, where I live, which is a town on the coast of Kent in England. And this is my little gift, the sound of the sea in Margate to you. But he writes, the seashell is a whisperer of secrets, a threshold, and sometimes reversing identification as an organ of speech, it becomes an ear. He continues, ear, seashell analogies remain saturated with the oceanic. He cites Tara Rogers explaining that the ear has been construed as holding an ocean within and the term ear canal itself evokes a channel of water for navigation, an arm of the sea. So today I invite you to hold on to this notion of the seashell as we explore some aspects of headphone performance together. The headphone as an intermediary between the ocean of heard sound and the landings of consciousness and understanding, a kind of grotto space into which the sea laps, but also a flowing space, an ambiguous space where the headphone itself can become the ocean, where the ear can become the shell, and sound can become the listener. Hello, hello, hello. hello. Um, I'm Dan, so nice to meet you all. Um, I've been working with headphones in different ways for many years now. Um, I'm a sound artist, a musician, um, and a teacher. And headphones are just a part of my practice, not everything, but part of my practice. Um, just a kind of rundown of headphone projects that I've been involved in. Um, I initiated a series of works for Tate's galleries called Sonic Trails, which were headphone pieces designed by sound artists to listen to the spaces and artwork within Tate Modern. And we worked with lots of um, 20 sound artists over like six, seven years to develop headphone pieces for that. And I've also made promenade pieces for silent disco systems like this, um, as well as serialistic audio guides for an art museum called Pallant House in Chichester, Modernist Artworks, and most recently making musicals for headphones um, for a company called Headphone Story, which are binaural musicals that you listen to at home, but use this kind of technology to create intimate spaces for singing and listening. So today I invite you to come on this short journey through some modes and strategies for headphone performance and 
drawing on some of the projects that I've been involved in, as well as some other things I'm going to share with you from other makers. And we're going to explore headphone space as an augmented aural space, as a theatre in the dark, as a space for invitation and participation, and as a space for communality. Um, but I want to just reference, we should reference this fact that the, that the headphone um, we should recognize that the headphone has got a long tradition in performance and we could we could make the claim for those of you in the room I'll put this image up we can make the claim that stereo audition through a binaural headset as we're experiencing now was invented for the hearing of live theatrical performance uh, over 100 years ago 140 years ago um, Clement Adder I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly apologies to Clement he created a multi-microphone array on a stage at the 1881 World Expo and transmitted this performance to a live audience through the telephone system, two telephone cables to a binaural earpiece like this. And this became commercialised and um, became in France the theatrophone, in England the electrophone. And very interestingly, one of the other cities, it was Budapest and Munich was one of the only other cities that created a commercialised version of this. Um, as Gaskio's only notes in Stereophonica, fantastic history of stereo sound, the theatrophone would have been an audience's first experience of electrically transduced sound, acousmatic sound, sound without visual source, and stereo sound. So this is an amazing history. So we are existing now within a very antique technology. Where the theatrophone was a telephonic system designed to convert, to connect an audience with a sound event elsewhere, the headphone has since become part of the performance like this where it's worn by the audience, listening together in an auditorium, with the headphone becoming a framing device as important as the proscenium arch. We can see that visually. Um, so we're going to begin this presentation with just me as voice performer and you as listener and viewer, spectator, perhaps participant, you're the audience. And we're in the here and now, and this is a very concrete reality. We're in a room together, listener and performer. We can trust this concrete reality. And those of you at home are eye and ear witness to this. And while our relationship is a bit more complex than that, um, you can trust this is some kind of concrete reality we're at one-to-one -one scale and i'm addressing you and you're listening of course without much interrogation this sense of the concrete can unravel very quickly because 
because he's speaking quite quietly and without these devices you might not be able to hear Dan. These devices have been slinking around in the background rather suspiciously. And why does it sound like Dan's voice is in the middle of your head when he's sat all the way over there? You might say, get out of my head, Dan. But we can easily play with this sense of the concrete by augmenting the aural space. And it's in this place that speculative space is going to open up. And it's a space where we can begin to tell stories and create new worlds, a kind of augmented orality. Um, this is a simple trick we're going to start with. So I'm opening my piece of software here. I'm just going to press a button. We're going to create a new space inside this aural proscenium. Uh, here we go. Now, it's a very simple, easy trick, but it's quite delightful because now the visual space remains concrete, but the aural space becomes more fluid. And our sense of what is real is augmented and disrupted by this new aural fiction. And I'm in a new space. At least my voice is. And as you listen more, hearing the trail of my voice reverberating, you're able to trace out the boundaries of this new space with your listening and your psychoacoustic capabilities engage and you might begin to feel like you're in the same space as me, that you're in the same space as me. This simple trick has augmented this aural space, this concrete space of my voice in a lecture theatre. So not only are we now sharing and hearing inside a new fictional aural space but we're able to move in relation to each other so I can move over here I'm just moving the panning button and I might move over here and maybe point your finger where, you, where I am where am I in your aural space and where am I now and where am I now? And where am I now? But where am I really? <laughs> Correct. Well, I don't know. Um, so our visual imaginations begin to get triggered as well. And we might begin to explore this new space. We might imagine this space. It's larger. It's darker. digital recreation of space. That's all this is. It's a convolution reverb based on the frequency and time delay responses of a chapel. So, um, 
I want to play you something. Duck. Duck. Harbour. Port. Anchor. Jetty. with this notion of an augmented orality with this headphone piece made for Tate Britain a few years ago. And the piece was designed for audiences to listen to whilst they're exploring this sculptural work by Philly de Barlow um, called Doc. And this piece of the physical work, which is a separate artwork from what you're hearing now, was made of multiple sculptures um, constructed from cardboard, gaffer tape, plywood, uh, paint, and it measured like five meters in height, but multiple objects. And they dwarfed the audiences in the sound piece, a drift which was made for Tate's learning. Um, I made this with the ASMR filmmaker Olivia Kisper, and it features all the materials used by Barlow in her work. But Olivia was manipulating these materials around a binaural microphone. And we hear the sounds of tape and wood, etc. But we don't hear them as huge. So when you look back, you didn't see the ghost. We don't hear them as huge objects as well as structures but as intimate materials placed closely and carefully to the ears. And the intention was for audiences to enter into this augmented aural space which played with scale from the tiny to the vast and also with intimacy and the listening to the whispering and the tapping within this private space of headphone listening whilst walking and looking for the largest Walking through this is one of the largest galleries to take. The headphone becomes like a microscope, zooming into zooming our attention into details, like a stethoscope, pressed against these huge sculptures. So the audience's concrete visual space was augmented by this other, more fluid, aural space.
We're moving through an augmented aural space where the visual is in dialogue or in counterpoint to the aural into this dark space. We're in a dark space of imagination. We're now in a theatre in the dark. It's beyond sight, but it's not beyond the possibility of vision. As actually, I'm going to quote Lynn. Lynn sat next to me right now. Hi, Lynn. Lynn Gentry Rose. And she was writing about Rosenberg and Neath's ring. She says, Though this complete blackout is obviously an absence of the visual, it must be said that the darkness is not about staging the loss of sight. If anything, it foregrounds this, as darkness may be an absence of what is visually present in the immediate future that might spring at us out of this pitch black space. Darkness is a loaded presence. End of quote. Thanks, Ben. I'd like to talk about a different piece here. You can keep your eyes closed for the time being. A few years ago I saw a show called Reassembled Slightly Askew by Shannon Yee. If you, if you want to open your eyes for a moment, you can see a picture of it on the screen. This piece is a headphone work and it begins with the audience being invited into a performance space and being invited to lie down on a hospital bed by a nurse. It later transpires it's a real nurse, not an actor. And then the nurse places eye mask over your eyes and puts headphones on your head. And the story that ensues is Shannon's story of her own experience of brain surgery. We hear the sounds of the hospital, binaurally rendered like this. We hear Shannon's own narrative, her inner voice. which sounds a bit more in the middle of our heads, like this. And what I really liked, what I really liked about this piece was that she allowed us to drift. She allowed the audience space to drift within their own imaginations. And something happened when I saw this show. was a success and she can come back to consciousness and 
think it's very interesting and also my experience with working with headphones of allowing your audience to be in sound, to be immersed. These watery metaphors coming back again from the she cells, seashells, and Shannon's piece lets this ocean pour in and pour out of our ears. Okay, you can you can open your eyes. So, when I was rehearsing this on Sunday in my studio, um, it sounded like this. I mean, actually, this is Sunday. I am recording this on Sunday. This is this is me talking on Sunday. It's quite noisy. There was um, builders downstairs. I think they're downstairs. Maybe they're closer. Um, being really noisy, which is tricky because you know this all talks quite subtle, subtle sounds. Anyway, I thought I'd just transport you to Sunday in Margate just so you get a flavour where that's coming from. Thanks. Um, the last thing I want to talk to you about is um, the uh, headphone as a space for invitation and the space of invitation and also of participation. Um, participation is a tricky business. It's a delicate business. We saw it enacted beautifully earlier with the piece we all enjoyed. Um, and Gareth White has written about this in um, The Aesthetics of the Invitation. And he talks about the existence of various frames of invitation. And the headphone offers us a frame for invitation. And we might borrow techniques from headphone verbatim theatre developed by Anna Devere Smith and Mark Wing Davy, where the performer is listening to testimony via headphones and repeating it with all of its idiosyncrasy, with all of its humanity to an audience. The body becomes a vessel for another's subjectivity. And the as the headphone verbatim technique can will a performer to speak, to listen out loud, we can also invite audiences to listen out loud with words, sounds or movements, where the headphone participation becomes a headphone-led choreography. Um, in 2016, I developed a piece called Players with the choreographer Aya Kobayashi, where audiences listen to a narrative through a silent disco system elements of which invited audience to move or speak or sing. And it was performed in a huge empty gallery space in Tate Modern, which was lined with windows looking over London. And the piece ran on a loop. Um, it was going for two days and the audience could arrive and dip in whenever that they happened to kind of arrive in the room. And as part of the piece, we invited audience to, to raise their forefinger just like this. I just invite you to we'll try this together. Just raise your forefinger. And in the piece, the audience were invited to trace the outlines of buildings they could see out of the windows of the Tate. What I invite you to do now is just to trace people in the room, objects in the room, 
with your finger. If you're, if you're listening at home, you might try this as well. And it's a simple invitation. It's quite intimate when we're listening to it through headphones and we're following this voice, this intimate voice just asking us to outline this weirdly imminent voice that seems to emerge from inside us as much as anything else. It seems to be telling us, willing us to do this. Keep tracing, keep tracing. I'm going to invite you just to repeat some words after me as naturally as you can and as I speak them. As we're tracing, my headphones are a proscenium arch around the stage of my listening and the curtains of my attention open before the pit of my voiceless coil where I am listening to the sea. I'm going to stop there. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. Um, any any questions? Any thoughts from the room? I don't think quite know what the question is, but it's something around um, uh, creating really personal, individualised experiences versus a communal experience. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts on sort of where that spectrum is and how those things maybe meld together. Yeah, there was a section I I, I skipped the last little bit because I realised I was going over. Um, where we talk, I talked about I talk about this. Um, so now I will talk about it. Um, so I think it's really, I mean, I think what's really interesting about these kind of systems is that it has this dual nature of um, the private, which is what we're used to when we're walking around like London or a big city, we've got our headphones on and we're in this kind of private space. Um, and it's a space where they, we use the headphones sometimes as a kind of like visible boundary to say like, I am absent, I'm not present, please don't disturb um, we talk about this when working with students as often, yeah, we, that, that comes up in conversation a lot. Whereas when we're in this kind of space, we're all wearing the headphones and we know we're all wearing the headphones. And we, we're suddenly this kind of common, there's like a headphone commons situation yeah. where we're all just That's conjoined. Nice, nice term. Mm. Is that your term? That's my term, which I was going to say, yeah. and I've not said it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's that that... There's, there's this kind of play with headphones that, that, and I think as kind of consumer listeners, we're aware of when we are moving from the private listening in your listening on, on the tube or on the bus to this kind of a space. It's kind of fun to know we're all listening to the same thing suddenly, because if that happened in real life, it would be really uncanny and strange, and that can be a, a play as well within performance. Millie, but we wouldn't know that we were all listening to the same thing. Mm. Well, that's, yeah, and that, again, is a play space. Um, instructions for instructions. Exactly, but, but, you know, with our partner, they were, they had different instructions, mm. you know, yeah, so, yeah. so I think, I think there's something really interesting about the fact that we are being cut off, and therefore, you could be playing anything. So, in that sense, you know, the idea of communality is disrupted simply by putting the headphones on. Mm. 
you know, you're, you're taking that risk of, of separating yourself from, from everywhere and from the communality. So even though you're saying that, well, we're, we're in the same space and we've all got headphones on and therefore there's a communality, actually, it's a, it, that's, a, that's a trust. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it is completely. And I, in some, I don't know if you've ever been to a silent disco. If you go to a silent disco and you know you're... You, you very quickly you get this trust that you're all dancing to the same song mm. and, and you can see yeah you can see people moving but I mean some discos you can change channel and listen to a different yeah. song which is really weird yeah, you're all dancing but there's this kind of asynchronicity um, I'm just thinking that there's a piece a great headphone show um, Chekhov's first play mm. yes I mean I don't want to spoil it but there's a moment when exactly this happens there's a trust and then that trust is broken as part of the narrative and it's great mm. I think there's an interesting question there about um, the, that, the invitation and, and the question about communality of course because you know common or garden headphone listening is taking place you know we don't think about how we listen when we go to the theatre and congregate as an audience I think throwing attention to that to this mode of listening is not necessarily negation of it but perhaps is a drawing attention to those strategies and, and modes that we have to do so a question yes. from Monica so you, your way to shape chronological structures independently from space structures is fascinating mm-hmm. to which degree do you intend to make concepts of multidimensionality of space and time perceptible I felt the real audience in the room just like in trance mm-hmm. Well, that's a good question. Um, what I just presented was a kind of um, a play, really, with this technology. But I, I, that that sense, even just the reverb, it's such a simple thing. And it's like that. I remember being 11 when I first got my four-track tape recorder and having, like, a echo box and just sitting there for hours listening to like, all the presets of large hall and cathedral. Um, because it kind of does this. You're in these multiple dimensions and... There was some great language there. I can't mm. remember exactly. Um, where absolutely those those you become you start to perceive that that weird ability to be in these different spaces at once, also to kind of physically map them out. I mean, even these reverbs, which are digital, I don't know where you went or what space you imagined. It was probably similarish because we've got this ability to just do that. Our psychoacoustic kind of capabilities can map out space mm. it's interesting mm. you say that though because there's also the the matter and the digital capacity mm. to also achieve that as well as it being psychoacoustic George and then David so a continuation of the three mm. questions but I think one thing that comes to mind is around purpose that would be really interesting to hear about uh, I guess because in a sense the the setup you have where you you bring us into some of the mechanics behind it is a bit of the magician that shows part of the trick, but not all the tricks. So there's also that tension in us kind of, oh, are you tricking us now? Are we not? Is this real? Is this not? Which is, which is a very much a, a relationship with this sort of artist, performer, and audience. I'm enjoying it very much, but it's about us versus, you know, the, the tracing where suddenly we are very intimately starting to be aware of each other, each other's spaces and so on. So... I guess um, it would be interesting to know maybe an example of where, because of the different purposes of different projects, you've actually made drastically different decisions. Yeah, and I think what I've shared today is um, techniques that don't, they don't always coexist very easily in different projects. So some projects, like when you heard the one with the 
ASMR stuff. That was pure, um, pure kind of augmented in the sense that you're walking around a space just listening. You're not you're not asked to perform as much as like performance and listening. Listening is performance, etc. But yeah, being aware of what's possible and moving between modes is is delicate. Mm. That's that's all I can say. And I was rushing through, walking through lots of different techniques there. Thank you. Um, Last question then. Yes, thank you, Dan. Um, there was a moment when I got up and closed that window because I thought the sound was disrupting from outside, but I thought it was actually on the headphones. <laughs> so the, what, what, what that leads me to ask is, do you sometimes play with, it feels, um, headphones are never completely, I mean, you know, not, not as headphones isolate you quite, quite uh, effectively, but there usually is some semi-permeability or whatever. Um, and that leads to sort of what I would call a palimpsest. You know, you've got sort of one sonic layer and it's overwritten by another, which is perhaps a, a, an old one. So in one of your recordings, there was a, a voice or a child or someone, and I kept sort of, you know, going, who's, who's, you know, but of course it was, again, it was in the recording rather than in the real space, but that guessing game of what, what is in this space and what is in my headphone space and how do they relate to each other, that, that's something that I feel fascinated with, and is that something you play with very consciously because you can't really block out everything? Or, or Yeah, like, I, I mean, what, what I really enjoy and I haven't really used this in a, in a piece, I don't think. It comes up a lot from working with students. We play with this quite a lot. Is that, like now, when, when you're listening to a space binaurally, we're listening to the ears in the room of another subject somehow. Mm. This is my homemade binaural head. There's a kind of uncanniness about that, which is really interesting, and there's definitely a space there to exploit more. Um, or listening to... We had this experience a moment ago when Lynn was listening to the live feed and you're hearing the space 10 seconds ago. You get into these time travel kind of moments and experiences, which is interesting. That idea of the chronological space and the shifting of the chronological space becomes as possible as changing the dimensions of this so-called live present space. And it's that sort of blurring, queering sometimes of our sense of what is actual and live and um, presentness is, is is very rich in terms of uh, headphone-based performance. Mm. Uh, I want to say a huge thanks to, to Dan. Thank you.